school school is great, but it doesn't lend itself to creativity as much because they're often teaching the right answers as opposed to just teaching questions. Welcome to the Corner Booth, where conversation is on the house and everybody has a story to tell. I am a coward. I'm scared of everything. I'm scared of birds, I'm scared of heights. So when I found out I was gonna be talking with someone who was literally a man without fear, I was admittedly a bit intimidated. I mean, what's cooler than a Hollywood stuntman, right? How about a Hollywood stuntman who's also an author, fear expert, coach, and public speaker? That's Brett Solomano. Brett is a stuntman for film and TV. He's crashed cars and motorcycles, been set on fire and jumped off buildings. He's an expert in overcoming fears and helping others do the same. And when he's not entertaining us on the screen, Brett keeps busy coaching people on how to overcome their own fears, either in a one-on-one setting or through his public speaking engagements. He's a real-life superhero, and you can catch him later this year on The Walking Dead and in the upcoming sequel to Stephen King's The Shining, Dr. Sleep. But for right now, I've got him here in the corner booth. So grab your favorite drink, settle in, and enjoy my conversation with Hollywood stuntman, Brett Solomano. Who was the guy? Who was your guy? (laughs) Who was the guy? I think it was, uh, and I know this might fall into contention a little bit as to whether he's actually a superhero or not, but for me, it was James Bond, man. That was because he's, to look at him, he's an ordinary guy. He's a normal guy. He's just got a bunch of skills, you know, and he can drive this and he can fly that and he can kick butt with this gun or that weapon or, you know, even his bare hands and he can go and then charm the ladies all before uh, before dinner time. you know what I mean? He's got a whole range of that, those masculine kind of skills and, and he's a bit of a bit of a hero like that. He's slaying the bad guys, you know. Superheroes, they, they show up in different forms and I think we've been, for a long time, we've been presented the DC and Marvel superheroes, the, the flying superheroes, the ones that can create storms and lightning or have these different powers that you wouldn't normally see in everyday life. But I think they're great metaphors at the end of the day for for, for people with skills. And I think that that's why they drew such a strong following to the, uh, the comic book fan club. Maybe people who like reading don't they're not sure of their their powers so much you know maybe they they want to learn who they are from reading for me that's what i love doing um as a stunt performer is getting out there producing content that uh, inspires and empowers people um through action films and through different films where they get to see something about the world and and learn something about themselves and um and get entertained in the process is it fair to ask who your favorite bond is or is that too personal being a truck person, I, I love uh, Living Daylights just be, just for the truck stunts. Um, I'm a huge fan of Living Daylights, but I, I could go through. I mean, I love Man with the Golden Gun because of the, the car stunt, of the, the, the flipping the car on the two ramps, and they, they corkscrewed a car. And so I, and I know I'm mentioning specific films and specific car stunts here, but uh, I, I think I love them all. I think I love what they did with Daniel Craig, re, you know, rebirthing James Bond. Uh, I love Pierce Brosnan. I love Sean Connery, uh, Roger Moore. You know what I mean? They're, they're all good, man. They're all good. Yourself aside, who, who would you like to see as the next Bond? 
Uh, I don't think I'm anywhere good good looking enough for James Bond, man. I think James Bond's got to have that in spades. And uh, I think Hugh Jackman should have a crack at it. He might be too much of a theatre, be, be seen as too much of a theatre performer now. And he's not as uh, as rugged anymore, perhaps. He's getting away from Wolverine. And But uh, definitely, as an Australian, I'd love to see Hugh Jackman have a crack at it for sure. What was the first step to realizing your dream of then, like, okay, I'm going to become a superhero? I mean, I'm assuming you didn't get blasted by gamma rays. No, nothing like that. No uh, falling into a big pot of goo or anything like that. I just was, uh, I guess, that, and talk about tragic backstories maybe, but, you know, I was just that, that child that got bullied, and I think we all get bullied at some point, and perhaps that loneliness drew me to, to watching films. Uh, I grew up in a small country town in um, not quite the outback of Australia, but, you know, it was in country Australia. There wasn't much to do on weekends. We would either entertain ourselves by making films uh, when, I, when I bought myself a video camera or, or watching films. My dad was... Uh, in the military he would you know share weapons experience with us and that kind of thing and um it kind of kind of just stemmed from there you know and you start doing something and when you enjoy something so much uh whether it be watching films or you, you have any sort of interest in something you have a very strong taste for it so long as you can persist through that annoyance that your skills aren't as good as what your taste is you know your your desire to be as good at something uh you can keep going and you just keep raising the bar every time and that's what we did we just kept raising the bar i don't think i'm a superhero more than anyone else I think we all have different skills. There's lots of different people out there with different skills. I'm always fascinated by um, accountants. I think they have the opposite skill to me. I'm definitely not a detailed person. I'm more of a big picture person. And for someone to sit with numbers that long, uh, I mean, I just love accountants. I'll give accountants as much money as I can if they can take care of my taxes for me because I never want to have to do my own taxes, you know. For me, it's just inspiring people, doing interesting things, and showing up to, to make films. How did you make the transition then from just being the guy with his friends making cool stuff to this is a career now? It's an interesting journey. I don't know if there's any one moment. I do know that I did uh, uh, work in the film industry for a little bit in Australia. It was, you know, something just told me just to move to Melbourne, you know, get out of the get out of the country and move to the big city. I live with my granddad for a little bit. And then uh, I, I did do some work experience before that. Sorry. Um, and I did meet a stunt performer, but I didn't really know how to get into the film industry to actually make it happen. And I moved to Melbourne and just kind of followed a few leads and kind of showed up at different events. And you just you learn one thing and then you kind of get the next the next meeting or the next uh, job opportunity. And you just got to make sure you don't go backwards. Um, a lot of people in, in Australia, in the film industry really want to move to America because there's a bigger film community over here so I knew that I wanted to do that but I actually took a break for a bit of time for a few years that's why you might actually see in my book uh, on my on the back cover of my book it says ex-stunt performer Brett Solomano so I did take a break for a bit of time because I wanted to inspire people in different ways and I wasn't sure if I was going to come back to stunts or not ended up actually coming back because I got the visa the visa took so long for me to come through I'd forgotten I'd even applied for it basically <laughs> the US green card lottery uh, came through and all of a sudden I was going to the US and then just through another random connection uh, I was I was in, sitting in the office of a uh, executive producer of one TV show and ended up getting some stunt work on, on that TV show and these opportunities just come um, over time I'm not sure it's any one particular moment you know you have to show up and see what's up you have to go to the event and see what's there and, and again your your skill set will get better and better the more you show up and sharpen that sword. What was stunt training a typical day of that like for you today? So with stunt training, we're basically going out and practicing all these skills that we have uh, to perform on a 
on a daily basis as stunt men or men stunt men and women in the films or the TV shows that we're working in, it's a little bit of a catch-22 because we never know what the film next film project might be um, because directors are making up ideas. You know, even when you have a script, uh, the directors and the producers are changing ideas at the last minute. And even a fight scene that you might make up and rehearse for weeks or even months um, or large sequences with cars crashing and different things, they get choreographed and planned weeks and even months in advance. And then sometimes they just get on set and something's changed. Someone with an opinion or someone with money higher up in the food chain on the film set has changed their idea and we have to come up with new ideas. And that sometimes has to be at an hour's notice or you know even five minutes notice. So we have to, one of the biggest skills we kind of try and practice is, uh, is working on the fly. And so whether we're creating a fight scene or a car chase scene or something like that you always want to be able to come back to the basics of just learning how to throw a punch and make that punch look like something that punch has got to sell a character uh, whether it's a guy with a lot of martial arts skills or someone who's got no martial arts skills and they're running for their life and it's much more emotional and frantic so we're always telling a story uh, there's always a character and as a stunt or as a, um, a stunt sequence would go we're always going from a to b there's always a, a link between something else and there's always a purpose so we're always trying to incorporate all these elements into the script to to tell that story and when people normally ask the question of uh what does it look like you know do you get hurt all that kind of stuff we normally don't get hurt because it's all magic tricks it's not about just throwing yourself down the ground hard and you know then getting carted off in an ambulance and saying hey do you guys get that because that was really awesome it's uh it's far more planned and methodical than that and we are performing magic tricks a lot of the time where what is going on behind the scenes isn't actually what the camera sees and what is going on on camera isn't actually what we're doing so there's a lot of acting to sell the pain of a uh, of a fight scene if it was that and there's a lot of um uh different elements that are incorporated that aren't actually real so a real car crash isn't a real car crash when it's on camera it'll be something done at a much more lower pace they'll often damage the car beforehand so cut little scores in the car with a with an angle grinder or a you know cutter of some kind a metal cutter of some kind so that the car falls apart much more easily now today coming back to your question what we are doing is the rigging side of stunts which is the art of flying superman or when somebody gets blown up instead of someone actually getting blown up by a real explosion um, which doesn't often happen like that uh, explosions in real life are far more chaotic and quick yeah a lot less beautiful and uh you know well presented and visual to the eye um even fighting martial artists always complain about films that they don't fight the same as um in real life with as a martial arts fight and that's because a martial arts fight you never want to telegraph your moves to your opponent because then they can block it but on movies uh, in movies or on tv on camera you always want to telegraph the audience what you're about to do you know you bring your fist all the way back your elbow up nice and high big like snarls on your faces the guy realizes he's about to get punched and you know you see that look on his face the wide eyes and then just at the last minute he brings the uh the hand across to block it and again that's something so so slow just me describing it there and it wouldn't be much quicker on um, on camera because we want to tell a story. So today we're working on the rigging, which is the ropes, um, and essentially puppeteering a, a person. Is that what is commonly referred to as wire work? 
Yes, yeah. So that is uh, there's a couple of different names, stunt rigging or wire work. Uh, there's, a, there's a few other names like that, but wire work or stunt rigging are the main broad names for that kind of stuff, yeah. And I can appreciate how things change on the fly on a movie set, but you have to have some sort of idea of what you're getting into with each job, correct? I mean, they can't just automatically decide we're going to set you on fire if that wasn't previously agreed to, or can they? A lot of the things do change at the last minute, and it's pretty much expected, but when they invite you onto a film set they're specifically inviting you for um, a specific skill set so me I'm rather tall and thin there may be a, a tall thin actor that I'm um, uh, doubling on the day a uh, so and if the fight scene if that they're doing is a very very specific martial arts fight a style that I might not have they're going to get somebody else but if the coordinator knows me they're going to get me and they're going to say oh yeah Brett's got these skills we'll get him for this job now if at the last minute they say we're going to do a fire burn uh, and I say I haven't got those kind of skills or that kind of setup they're not going to let me do that on the day or if the producer tries to push for it the stunt coordinator would hopefully step in and say no no he's he's not got those skills or we're not prepared and yeah a fire burn is something that takes a lot of trust working with a, a team of professional people uh, not just you doing the stunt but there's a lot of safety aspects and a big safety team that would go into that and that takes a lot of uh, getting to know the team and practicing and rehearsing beforehand so on the one hand yeah you want to be able to make things up on the fly i went into a job where the motorcycle crash that i did started out as something much simpler and i was just going to fumble and fall off and then it got much bigger that on the day i had to be ready to say yes or no to it because the producer came up oh, sorry the director came up with another idea and said we're doing it this way this seems like a better idea um and then me and the stunt coordinator had together and get together and talk about it now if for whatever reason maybe i'm not capable of doing it uh, my skills aren't good enough maybe the bike isn't able because there's a mechanical aspect as well we have to be able to give them a reason why why not or give them a reason why we can do it maybe give them a little bit of pushback and that's kind of the creative process and it's not meant to be a, a fight necessarily or anything like that but it is a creative process and that's kind of what i love about it because people are always uh, coming up with new ideas and the bar is always getting raised and you just have to keep bringing new elements on set and being ready to use them and that's why we're always training new things showing up you know forming little uh, stunt teams filming little fight sequences that we might come up with and then kind of shopping them around to different directors or stunt coordinators to say, hey, here's what we got. This is what we're doing these days. I liked your analogy about stunt work being similar to a series of magic tricks and that you guys don't necessarily get hurt, but there's no denying risk involved in what you do. What are some of the just craziest situations you've ever been put in physically on a film set? Yeah, so it's a very common question like, don't you ever get hurt and don't you ever get scared? And I'm glad actually to use the word risk, Steve, because risk is one of my favorite words and that's a that's opposed to the word danger you know when people say you know isn't it dangerous what you do brett and i say well you know i don't know how to answer that because that's kind of a yes or no question i mean walking down the street could be considered dangerous depending on which area of town you're walking in you know what i'm saying so a risk is when you talk about risk it's, it's far easier to measure that when we have a risk such as, you know, crossing a street, we can say, okay, how, how can we reduce those risks? Uh, you know, maybe we should cross and make sure that we look both ways. Maybe we should cross at the crossing and make sure that we have the, the correct lights to stop the traffic. Um, that's how we can reduce those risks. And it's the same with a fight scene or um, a car accident scene or something like that. You've got to be able to take the risks, the potential opportunities for an accident, and remove those as much as possible. 
As far as getting hurt so far, touch wood, uh, the worst uh, ways that I've been hurt have basically been overtraining or undertraining. And it's always just a little bit of, oh, yep, I shouldn't have tried so hard on that one. And it's just a little bit of me pushing my own limits and finding the limit and saying that's enough for that day sort of thing. I've done fight scenes. I've done uh, truck tractor and trailer chase sequences. Um, I've crashed motorcycles. I've done a few car crashes as well. And I've also been set on fire. A fire scene of some kind, again, it always has a reason and there's always an outcome. Usually for a a fire scene, it's someone getting burnt. Perhaps there's someone running in and saving them. And unfortunately, you know, fire is still dangerous. There's no real way of having fire that's cold. Uh, But there are ways to control that fire so that it's away from people and doesn't get burnt, uh, doesn't burn people that might be nearby. So they use a lot of flame bars, which are essentially pipes hidden in amongst uh, scenes or set pieces that they can turn on and turn off. They're usually uh, gas powered. And the set pieces themselves will be made out of or sprayed with a flame retardant material so that they won't actually burn and catch fire. They may singe, but they won't actually catch fire and start a bigger thing. And as far as putting fire on people, you need to be able to control the fire again. Fire obviously burns very hot. You hold it near a person, it's going to burn them. So what we do is we have a number of different types of fire gels and also flame retardant clothing that we use in different layers to create a barrier of a barrier between the the fire and the person so we can have a fire burning on someone for a different reason maybe uh you know maybe a candle falls onto a wedding dress or something like that but it won't burn the actual person so we recover any bare skin in a uh in a flame gel which is kind of like a um, a hair gel consistency it's uh might be milky or might be clear and uh we we cover our bare skin in that and we would wear a uh, flame suit or different flame retardant layers on the areas that would have clothing tuck those under the costume and then we'd put the uh, the, fu- the fuel or the flame accelerant onto just the areas that we wanted to burn so that there wouldn't be uh, an out-of-controlled fire. And it would also be part of the story. So maybe it's just a leg that catches fire. Maybe it's just, just an arm or something like that. We've talked fires, fighting, and flying. What kind of stunt work were you doing on The Walking Dead? And I ask that show in particular because it has to be one of the number one, number two most popular shows of the last decade. What kind of stunt work goes on on the regular there? Yeah, The Walking Dead's a really cool show because it's um, it is one of the most popular shows, and they're always trying to uh, push the limits as far as uh, new things. You know, there's just a regular audience for that, so they're always trying to be con- creative with that. Um, I was doubling one of the main characters for a, a portion of season nine. Uh, I can't talk a lot out a lot, a lot about it because it still hasn't. Uh, some of those episodes still haven't come out yet. Um, I've also played a, a walker, which is uh, you know one of the zombie characters. One of the scenes that I did was basically just falling over. Yeah, it was an interesting day because falling over, normally there's a way for you to kind of catch yourself as you fall but kind of hide that in the performance. So you can get airborne and make it look out of control, but then you land in such a way where you might just touch first with your um, with your foot and then roll through onto your legs and then button and back. Even when you land directly on your back or an awkward position, there's specialists out there who can do that and absorb uh, the pressure in their body. And on the uh, through through the way they they land through their body, so it's not a hard hit, but a uh, I guess a more absorbed hit. You know, that's the best way I can describe it. The fall that I did on The Walking Dead, I had to fall like a walker, like a zombie. They don't really have any any awareness. You know, they're the undead. So I basically had to fall without reaching for the ground, and it was a way of kind of rolling myself onto my shoulder and sort of catching myself, but still falling in a stiff way, so it looks good for camera. Uh, which normally you wouldn't want to fall stiff. You would want to fall in a 
relaxed kind of flowing way to absorb that uh, that impact you know that energy as you as you land so that was a good challenge for me on the day I fell on one of the episodes on season nine you know in a cemetery and uh, you have done some other gags I was doubling one of the main characters um, they always want to know about uh, the walking dead but uh, it's always sealed up with um, non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff but uh, if you're a fan of the show you'll definitely see me and I'll be uh, I'll be doing stuff on that in addition to having to perform stunt work in character as a walker I would imagine that the heavy makeup that you're under impacts or at least complicates the performance as well. Definitely, definitely. And there's always that stunt performers, they start out as gymnasts or, uh, um, you know, racing car drivers. They always come with some sort of... uh skill normally beforehand and that's they they get you know roped in no pun intended into the stunt industry by a a friend who they need extra motorcycle riders for or whatever or a lot of stunt performers find their own way in they have to diversify their skills but a gymnastics backflip is really a gymnastics backflip on camera because you're always doing something for a purpose so if you're playing a gymnast it's going to be a gymnastics backflip but if it's a backflip because of an explosion that's a different reason. And coming back to your original question, they're always adding extra elements. So the makeup or the bright lights or, you know, hey, Brett, we want you to do a, uh, a car slide or something like that. And we're going to put a camera basically in front of you and they're going to build a rig looking over the steering wheel from the driver's point of view. And they want you to do all this stuff and do a handbrake turn. And then they say, oh, and, and, hey, let's, uh, let's, put the, uh, let's put this person here. Let's put that camera right over here and they're always changing the elements and you have to be ready to roll with that and make it up as you go along but always keep safety in mind so yeah for the the walking dead we had um a very heavy makeup on especially the the walkers that are right in front of camera they have a lot of makeup they have contact lenses uh, it's often in dark areas where there's lots of smoke and again you got to keep your awareness around you you've got to be ready to say no and when it's when they call action you've got to go in there and do the thing you might only have limited awareness so you have to be able to uh, be aware of your other performers and and make something happen that is both safe and and awesome for the uh, for the audience and for the camera. How much longer is your day on something like The Walking Dead when you have to go through that makeup process? It really depends uh, on the type of stunt that you're doing, but there's layers built into that. So you might have to get into different costumes, uh, different makeup, and and there's a process before the day even starts filming and rehearsing where you've got to get your makeup on, and that might be you know might just be ten minutes. Sometimes they'll just you'll just walk through, and the makeup lady will say, "Oh, yep, you're good. You know, you're in the background. We don't need to worry about you today." The hairstylist will do a similar thing. They might just come in and trim your edges you know if you're uh, playing a professional person uh, of a, with a period piece you might be in the uh, in the makeup chair for half an hour an hour two hours three hours depending on how much they're doing if you've got bare arms or a full body kind of latex set you're going to be in there with your shirt off and they'll be uh, painting stuff on your body and sticking things on and doing all sorts of stuff depending on what it might be so it can definitely be a long day As a stuntman, what do you think of professional wrestlers? Because I know it's different, but it's that controlled situation that I think there's a similarity there too. And I'm just curious what a stuntman's take on a professional wrestler is. Coming back to the magic magic trick analogy, the stuntman is performing a skill set to tell a story for a character, for a script, on camera. And there's an art form to that. And when you're doing a a fight scene for theater or for live shows where there might be audience members all around you um, or for wrestling, it becomes a different kind of art form. Uh, Sorry, it's still a a similar art form, but the skill set is different. On camera, 
because the camera is normally closer in, your punches will be a lot more tighter and you can, if you mess up or the camera messes up, you can stop and start again. When you're doing live shows, the audience isn't going to stop and suspend their disbelief for a second and, you know, hey guys, can you stop, you know, leave the audience and uh, come back in five minutes when we go for a second take. You, you have to keep rolling with it. So improv is far more of a useful skill in, in theatre where even though they've got a script, uh, little things are going to change all the time and you have to be ready to catch that and keep the performance all the way through. So if, um, you know, you get a sense that your performer is, uh, yeah, something's happened, maybe they dropped their weapon and they didn't drop it on the ground, but they the, the weapon bounced out of the uh, the arena that the wrestler might be wrestling in, the other performer might say, oh, we need that weapon for the rest of the, uh, the fight scene. I'm going to give him a few minutes to recover that, and I'm going to go and taunt the crowd because I'm going to pretend that he has, uh, you know, I've, I've knocked him out and I'm really good, and then I turn around and, oh, my God, there he is again with that weapon, and he snuck back in. So it's a lot more improv. Um, there is still a lot of scripting that goes on. Uh, I don't have so much experience, particularly with specific styles of um, – uh, wrestling or shows, depending on how big the shows are, but I know that there would be a lot of um, uh, improv that would go into that uh, in between the script that they've already laid out because there's uh, there's so much consistency you just have to keep all the way through that show and through the performance to maintain that character. There are a lot of books out there that aim to inspire and help people to learn and grow in all different areas of their life, but a lot of times you look at who the author is, what their credentials are, and why they would even be qualified to offer that kind of advice to a reader. I think you are uniquely qualified to help inspire people like that. What's the story behind getting the book going? I've always been fascinated by learning, and I'm lucky enough to be in a profession that requires me to learn every day. You know, And some people... They want to go through, do the elementary school, the high school thing, and then go on to college, get a degree, and then just get one job for their life. And that's great. You know, I love those types of people. I think sometimes those types of people, unfortunately, get stuck thinking that that's all, that's all they have. You know, they've got one job. They're, they're all good. You know, they don't have to sell themselves anymore. They're still trying hard. They're still doing a great job in that role. But people are always caught out by unknowns. And when an unknown happens, such as someone losing their job, sadly, or maybe just things change, you know, whatever it might be, people are often caught off guard, you know. And as stunt performers, I'm just fascinated by how quickly can we recreate a fight scene the director's given us five minutes we've been working on this thing for three weeks how quickly can we make something up in five minutes you know and how much do we change and, and it's that uh, creativity that kind of comes out of nowhere and how can you create uh, create that or make that happen what skills do you need what mentors do you need what resources are you going to learn from what communities are you going to learn from how much money do you want to spend, you know, because you don't have to spend 40 grand on something or a hundred grand on something to learn a skill. You can learn it uh, with $50 or with no money, you know, you don't need that much. And the context is very important for that reason. So when people want to learn something, I always say, get clear on what you want to learn, get clear on why you want to do it and start building a community around you so you can start picking up new skills and kind of finding your own pathway through that. Pick a skill up, put it down, get into a community. Oh, I've learned all I can from them and move on to the next thing. After school, there are so many people that probably don't even know where to go to learn more, even when they want to. 
Exactly, exactly. And Facebook is great. Um, YouTube is great. Google is great. All these different assets that we've got are great. And, you know, content is just getting cheaper and cheaper because of that. People aren't spending hundreds of dollars on Encyclopedia Britannica anymore, you know, um, because the world is at our fingertips. At the same time, I think people still get a little bit lazy with their learning. They watch a few videos and they don't actually go out and practice it. People are a little bit uh, aversive to wanting to actually go out and try something to experience it and to actually fail. Personally, I, I try and set myself up to fail a little bit each each day or each week. What can I be doing differently and just get myself out there? You know, I've got a series of goals for myself and for my career. The only way you're going to get to your goals is by doing what you haven't done already. It's not going to be perfect because you're not going to get it first time. So you have to go out there and fail. Oh, and I think for a lot of people, they don't even have to wake up in the morning and try. It just happens. Yep. A rare glimpse into a life far more fascinating than my own. I don't know about you, but after listening to Brett speak, I'm more motivated to go out there and tackle some of those fears that have been holding me back in life. And if you're feeling newly motivated as well, today's your lucky day. Brett has kindly offered the first 20 Corner Booth listeners that contact him through his website, astuntmansguide.com, a free half-hour Confusion to Clarity session. Now these Confusion to Clarity sessions are meant to help you overcome your blocks, your fears, help you get unstuck, and get into action and make success happen for you. While you're visiting astuntmansguide.com, you can pick up Brett's book as well, A Stuntman's Guide to Learning Anything, Simple Tools for an Extraordinary Life. I want to thank Hollywood stuntman and fear expert Brett Solomano for chatting with me today. I want to thank you for tuning in and listening, and we'll see you next time right here in the corner booth. Last call, everybody. I don't remember what I did.